and Life with the Rendles or WMATL with the Rendles. Hi everyone and um, I want to say thanks to those returning to my podcast and thanks for those who are tuning in for the first time. Um, let me just quickly say um, I'm recording at home so if there's any background noises um, I've got the kids here today they make some noises sometimes I might have to go and you know sort them out and come back but yeah you'll get the gist. Um, I also want to say that this is a conversational podcast that um, I'm literally just going to be talking about like having a conversation with you guys um, as if you're my friends, as if I'm at a garden party and just shooting the breeze. Um, so we might be jumping all over the place. Okay, so this one today, um, I think last week I spoke um, about parenting a teenager and I think we called it, what did we call it? We called it, um, one of my favourite saying, be the exception to the rule. This one is um, a mishmash of information um, just because there's such an overlap in I think parenting um what we call atypical and atypical for those that don't know is I guess what we would say a child who is developing normally yada yada as opposed to um, an autistic child I want to sort of talk about some of the the training or um, some of the courses I went on um to teach myself about parenting an autistic child and how there is an overlap into um parenting atypical I'm making air quotes because I really don't like the word atypical as in normally developing children I hate that word um but anyway you know I'm going to use the word atypical for this just so that you can decipher between the two um so one of the things I want to talk about is um with my boys we um I had been around autism a little beforehand um I had been exposed to it through a friend and her going through the diagnosis um, with her child. But, you know, I am with my son. I did notice some similarities with my friend's son. Um, So let's say my friend's son is the same age as my teenage daughter. And so this is now, let's say, seven, seven years later, I'm raising my, my, my child and I'm noticing that he does certain things that I notice her child doing. So around, I would say, 18 months, um, my son Luca would play differently, I guess, to how my daughter would play, used to play. So he would like line up toys or he would, we used to have this indoor slide and he would never climb up the slide and slide down like the, like other children. He would, turn the slide over and use it as a rocking like you know he'd like to see it how it rocked or he wouldn't drive the cars he would turn the cars over and just play with the wheels um so there's certain things you know you can't just because your child's doing that doesn't mean oh my god my child's autistic there's so many different things that you have to put together to think maybe there's something i need to look at um it's the fact that my son used to used to say some words i remember his one of his first words was car and door and he used to say these words and then he stopped he kind of regressed and stopped babbling um so there's like there's lots of different things that you have to sort of take into um consideration when you're thinking about is my child does my is my child autistic has my child got autism um but these were some of the things that i had noticed at around 18 months 
and I just monitored him, monitored him for six months and then went to the health visitor and say, look, you know, because they don't, well, back then, I, I don't know how it is now, but back then I remember they don't really do anything until the child is around two years old and then they start officially, I'm again making air quotes, officially monitoring um, your child. Um, so it was, I think for me, I was a bit more... Um, receptive of the information because I had again been around it with my friend's son um, but at 18 months I didn't actually tell anyone what I was thinking I was um, more just I guess monitoring the situation um, and seeing you know he's doing all this stuff now but is he gonna grow out of it I don't know um, so we, you know, at, when he was two, I, I had the conversation with my husband and said, you know, look, this is what I've been noticing. And I was doing my background research as well. So I was going on online and seeing what the process is, what they look for. Am I noticing stuff? Um, so I did a lot of research myself as well, not just relying on what, you know, oh, my friend's son's doing this. So he's autistic. Um, and then I took the information and I, I took it to the health visitor um, when he was two. And I said, look, this is what I'm noticing. He likes to line things up. Um, he's regressing in his speech. You know, he used to say this. He doesn't say it anymore. Um, he doesn't make eye contact. He runs on his tiptoes. There were so many things that was going on, you know, that boxes, I guess he was ticking. And they referred us to the paediatrician. Um, and then we had, once they referred us to the paediatrician, then we had six months, I think we saw the paediatrician and then they said they wanted to wait six months and then, um, to see him again. And then they, we saw the paediatrician again at six months. Um, and then the paediatrician <clears throat> basically monitored him and then referred him to the joint clinic. Now the joint clinic, I guess, is where the diagnosis happens, um, you know, you, you would be seen by an educational psychologist and a speech and language therapist. Um, and the list is long, like we're from Croydon. So I think the list at that time was about 18 months to two year waiting list. Now, let me tell you a secret. Oh my God. Um, there is a secret list that they do not tell you about. Now, I'm not sure if this is the same of every borough, every joint clinic or whatever clinic you have in your area. There is a cancellation list that now for me, it was like, well, hold on a second. What do you mean a cancellation list? Um, surely if someone cancels, you go to the next person on the list. No, you have to ask to be put on the cancellation list. Um, so I asked to go on this cancellation list, which someone else told me about. And, um, there were only, I think at the time, there were only about seven people on this list. Um, and what this list is, is basically if they call you, so if someone cancels like on the day, it's like, you know, they might have an appointment at 12 o'clock and they might cancel at nine o'clock. You'll get a phone call saying, we've got an appointment at 12 o'clock. Do you want to come in? Um, then you sort of you rush and get ready because as I said who wants to wait 18 months to two years um so luckily we were on the cancellation list and bless the medical secretary she was absolutely lovely um she um I would phone her once a month and be like hi where are we on the list and she would tell me and she'd be like how you doing Caroline and we'd had a nice conversation but finally got through got um, through on the cancellation list so we didn't I think we only waited six or seven months 
<clears throat> got through on the cancellation list and we saw the um the educational psychologist and the speech and language therapist and after they monitored him for a while they brought us back into the room and said you know we would like to give your son a diagnosis of autism if that's okay with you now that was like real strange to me because I was like, what do you mean if that's okay with me? Because surely you're the medical professionals. So if you're saying that he's autistic, I'm, I'm going to go with you. But apparently what I've learned is some parents don't like to label their children, which is absolutely fine. You don't have to label your children. But for me, sometimes you have to label your children to get the help that your children need. Because without that label you're not going to get the help. You're not going to get that extra help. So I, me, I'm a say yes to everything when the, the NHS is offering it to you because if you say no, they're not going to offer it to you again. So we like, yes, label him because if he didn't have that label, then I'd be saying like, well, then what is going on with him? Because I'm going to make the air quotes again because it's not how other people develop, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, um, so we got the label and which was great. Also on top of that, he went to a really, really great preschool um, where they were so helpful with um, his developing and everything. So they were per absolutely amazing. Um, so we got a lot of um, feedback from the nurse, the preschool that he was at um, and with going through the whole process of diagnosing Luca. Now, Luca didn't get as much speech and language because one, we're in Croydon and just the 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 system is really slow with everything so Luca um started getting speech and language I guess when he was about three and a half four um when he started um nursery but he went to a specialist nursery um so by saying yes he he got that diagnosis by the way at a really early age like he was I think he got diagnosed a week or two before he turned three and like the nurse, she was like, how did you get a diagnosis so quickly? I, I was on the ball. I was literally phoning up the medical people all the time. And I was just aware of things earlier on. I then, I guess, some first time parents because and also going through diagnosis is difficult because I remember when I sort of started the process, I was going to the baby groups and the baby clubs. And um, there used to be these ones called Sure Start again. I. I don't know if they're still going on now, but I used to go to these short start centers where it was like a baby group. And I would be talking to the lady there to say, you know, you know this is how he's developing. And, um, um, I was overheard by another family who approached me afterwards. And, um, they were, were saying, you know, we're, we're noticing the same things with our child, but we don't know what to do. And, Here's why I always thank my lucky stars that I had a friend who went through the process. The friend was a learning difficulty nurse um, and actually helped me a lot through the process. So I had people to help me. I can only imagine how difficult it is for someone who's got a first child or is new to autism or, you know, where the family don't know anything and the family aren't really supportive um, about it either. So when this family came up to me and they said, you know, we're noticing these things, can you help us? I'm more than happy to talk about, you know, autism and autism is not a taboo word. It's fine. You know, we label our children so that they can get the help. But, you know, it doesn't mean that they're 
weird or different or um, difficult. It's just this is their personality. This is who they are. Um, so when, you know, I'm quite open talking about uh, my kids' autism. And so I spoke to this family and I helped them and I told them about the cancellation list, which they, you know, and they asked to go on it. And it just so happened that they um, their kid was the same age as Luca. Um, so funnily enough, Luca and their child went to the same school and became best friends. So that's really nice. That's what I like about that story. But yeah, so um, yeah, we went through the diagnosis. We got early diagnosis. Luca, you know, went to a specialist nursery. And even though I had my friend who was a um, learning difficulty nurse or an LND nurse, I'll say um, going forward, um, I still had to do a lot of my own research, a lot of my own training. And there was, at the time, the the Croydon Council were doing so much with teaching parents, which was great because I think when Luca was nine months old, I then fell pregnant again. That's another story. I'm going to come into that one um, later on. It's hilarious. But I fell pregnant again when um, Luca was nine months old and... Um, uh i had micah then obviously when i'm trying to think of age difference now let me think so i think i was getting micah micah's being seen by the health visitor when he was about one years old which made luca two and a half years old oh, let me think mike maybe michael was 18 months i don't know but basically luca had already been diagnosed um yes i get my kids ages mixed up i can't decipher they're like twins but um when i seen the health visitor about micah now i did notice some things with micah however um i thought that maybe he was copying his older brother so i didn't know whether micah had autism or if he was just copying so then micah when i went to the health visitor i think micah walked into um a sink like smashed his head into the sink and i didn't think anything of it um micah didn't cry because he didn't think anything of it and then the health visitor said does he do that a lot and i said do what you know she goes hurt himself and not cry i said well yeah because i didn't think anything of it and then i realized autistic some autistic children have very high pain thresholds luca has a very high pain threshold and now what i'm realizing is that micah also has a very high pain threshold where he just doesn't feel pain um so that was one thing uh, micah also didn't make eye contact and she was noticing all these things but i didn't notice them because i just thought he was copying lucas so and then micah went on to the referral of the pediatrician and then again went through the process so i had to go through it again with micah but as i said i noticed luca but didn't notice micah so also because they were on different the spectrum of autism is so wide you know think of a line and you know like from one to a hundred you know that's the autistic spectrum line and you can be anywhere along it you know so whereas luke what luca um what luca like what the boxes that luca was ticking michael wasn't ticking he might not have ticked the same boxes but he's still on on the line anyway um Mike is now being diagnosed. He, we go to the joint clinic, he gets diagnosed. So now I have two children diagnosed with autism. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a crazy household. But there were different um, courses that the council were putting on, um, speech and language were putting on, occupational therapy was putting on, um, 
PIP, um, Parents in Partnership, they were putting on. And I was just saying yes to everything. And I was going to every course that they would send me on. And because I said yes to everything, they then got to know me because of both of my children. So I was quite lucky in the respect that uh, because I said yes to everything and I was I'm someone who talks to everybody. I will talk to every speech and language, every occupational therapist. And I will sort of say I need more information. What have you got for me? Um, so there was one course that we did. There was a PRISM course that we did. Don't ask me what PRISM stands for because I have no idea. But it was um, occupational therapy and speech and language working together to teach us about communication and body language and how to communicate with nonverbal children. And it's not just through Makaton. Makaton is a form of um, sign language, but it's not the BSL sign language. It's like a, a child form of sign language. Um, which you use for nonverbal children uh, or nonverbal, you know, autis autism um, speech. It's got similarities to BSL, but it's not the same. Um, so, you know, I learned Makaton, um, some, some simple Makaton language, but also the speech and language therapist of Croydon, I think her name was Sally Lung, I can't remember her name, but Sally used to try to create like do these sort of test subject kind of things and I was like always like yes I want to be a test subject um, and she would do these one-on-one um, -on -one, um, sort of I guess crash course lessons for parents where it was about teaching us how to learn listen to our children's body language and that was so good because that one-on-one -on -one intensive session really taught us how to listen to the children and what they're not saying. And it meant that Micah, my youngest, who was non-verbal until he was, I would say, five or six, completely non-verbal until he was five or six, he could communicate with me without words. And I'm not talking about just using Makaton, but he could, like, just sounds, body language, and I was listening to him and interpreting what he wanted through his, or what he needed, what he wanted through his non-verbal body language. Now, because of that intensive communication um, with talking to um, children who are non-verbal, that then really helped me to communicate with my eldest daughter, Olivia, um, eldest biological daughter, Olivia, who um, who was verbal. But she also used to communicate non-verbally to me. And it was about me listening to her and what she was not saying. You know, not just the words. Just because children can use words, it doesn't mean that they are telling you everything that they want to tell you. Sometimes they don't know how to use the words to communicate with you. And this is why in my last podcast, there was a lot about listening to your children. But I will say this, that actually the training that I got for um, communicating with my nonverbal autistic children really helped me with my atypical child because she did the same thing. Now, what I'm realising is that so many children, I don't think there should be a dif um, you should differentiate between autistic children and atypical children because actually if you use the techniques that they give you to parent a child with autism you can have a better relationship 
with your non-autistic child as well. The, the same parenting techniques work for both, as I found out, you know. Um, it's, it's crazy because actually all children are different. So therefore we should listen to them, all of them. They're all talking to us non-verbally, you know, just because they have speech. Now, my eldest son, Luca, he's got a very good speech, but he still um, communicates with me non-verbally and I still have to interpret what he's saying because just because he's got his words, it doesn't mean that he knows what he wants to say. And one of the things that my daughter um, um, always says to me is like, mummy, how do you know me so well? How do you know what I want before I even know what I want? It's because I'm listening to ev everything you're saying to me, not just your words. I'm listening to your body language. I'm listening to your eye movements. I'm listening to the way you sit, the way you look, your facial expressions. I'm watching all of that to be able to listen to you. And I'm interpreting all of that together. So I'm taking what your words are saying, but I'm sort of listening to the tone of your voice um, in what you're saying. And I'm watching your movements as well. And then I'm putting it to the two together and analysing it. And then I'm getting what you're saying. Um, and so to parent the teenager and listening to my teenager throughout her whole life, I was... Um, putting in the techniques that I was that was taught to me um to listen to my non-verbal autistic children so just because um your child is not autistic some of those um autistic practices should be used for all children you know that is what I have learned because now you know I listen when I as I said with my youngest who was non-verbal until five or six um, everyone used to say, how do you know what he wants or needs? How does he communicate? And I couldn't ever really tell them, how do I communicate with, with them? Um, I just did. I was able to because I was listening to everything. And I think that there was, it was such a process because when Sally used to come to the house and um, I think how she did it was she would put Micah on one side of the room and we would be on the other. But we would have something that Micah wants and um, she would say, she would speak to him and be like, Micah, do you want this? And then we'd have to, just a millimetre of a movement was an acknowledgement. So we had to acknowledge every movement that he made, um, whether it was a flick of the hand, a finger movement or a turn, so that we could acknowledge body movements. And so he would realise that we were acknowledging body movement so it's a process it does you're not going to understand it straight off the bat it took months for us to get to a communicative state but it worked it was training them how to communicate with to us as well so when they when children all children this is not just about autistic children or um, atypical children separately this is about all children when all children learn that you are monitoring every movement they make they can then communicate better so I guess um, this episode was about communicating, um, again, communicating and listening to your um, to your children, whether they be autistic or 
um, atypical, you know, so um, it's also saying that all children are just different, you know, and you as their parent can't treat them all the same, you've, you've got to listen individually and there, there is no course on being a parent, you know, if you think about every job that you have, there's training, you know, to be a bin man, you still have training. To be a, a surgeon, you have training. To whatever job you go into, there's a certain level of training. The only job that you go into that, you know, where there's no training is, is becoming a parent, which is the most important job, you know? So um, I just find it that's so strange that anyone can become a parent without having the foundation of how to parent so by me doing the the or um the training for autism um in a way that's kind of a parenting course that everyone should be able to go on because listening to your child communicating with your child is such an important factor of parenting and you know and that that is what i learned you know if i had i didn't have that when i had olivia and it was a struggle, but I had that when I had Luca and Micah and it made parenting a lot easier, <laughs> you know? So that's just my opinion. So I'm just saying, you know, hashtag my opinion. But yeah, so I, I, I'm going to end it there. So, you know, wrapping that up, it's about um, listening to body language, um, autism training for parents can work for all children um you know listening to body language um communication is key and also if you have any questions about di um diagnose di diagnosis and the procedure uh, you know i'm not sure of the nows i can look it up and you know help you out and maybe send you messages but you know it is what it is um that's just my experience all of this is just my experience so please remember that so um at the end of that i hope i was helpful i hope you enjoyed the show um please remember my um web address my um web address is wmatl with the rendles.com um my gmail is wmatl with the rendles at gmail.com my twitter handle is at wmatl S. My Instagram is at WMATL with the Rendles. Um, I just want to say thank you again for listening and I hope you enjoyed. I hope you tune in next week for my next episode. Um, and thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure.